This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. is learning to pay attention to increase your awareness of the present moment. And as you hone your ability to be aware of who you are in the present moment and what you're doing and move away from kind of being on autopilot, then you have the capacity to short circuit habits, tendencies, or patterns in your life that are creating an experience that's, you know, it might be killing you. Happy New Year. Welcome to The Tonic and the first show of 2020. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll hear about detoxing after your holiday indulgences. We'll discuss the health benefits of oil of oregano. We'll find out how to cook with fruit in the winter. And lastly, we'll learn how mindfulness can help you make changes in your life. But first, a little bit of business. Today's show is brought to you by Omega Alpha. Omega Alpha is 100% Canadian-owned and has been GMP-certified for manufacturing to pharmaceutical standards since its inception in 1992. It uses only all-natural herbs, vitamins, and minerals in their formulations. The company is site-licensed for manufacturing nutraceuticals by the Natural Health Products Directorate, a division of Health Canada. They have four company divisions, both a consumer line and professional line of human products, equine pet health products, and a custom manufacturing private label division. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit their website at omegaalphainc.com. Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 200 peer-reviewed articles and conference proceedings. Welcome back to the show. Happy New Year, Gordon. How are you? Very good, thank you. Thanks for having me again. Today, I know we're going to talk about detoxing yeah. as, as a result of all that overindulgence that we did over the Christmas vacation. It's perfect timing, sir. Yes. We're going to help those people that can't help themselves, right? <laughs> <laughs> we, we try. We will try. Okay. Where would you like to start? Well, let's talk about a little bit about detoxing first and what it actually means to detox. Good. All right? Yep. You know... We, we talk about overindulgence over the Christmas. We ate too much, we drank too much, we smoked too much. Everything we did too much, okay? Yep. And in the short term, if that was all the, the toxins that we ever had to deal with, right, it wouldn't be a major problem. But a lot of us don't detox on a regular basis. And if we're not detoxing on a regular basis, all through the year, we've been accumulating toxins. Like every time I go outside, even though you think the air is clean, you walk out, you take a deep breath, while well, all those cars that just drove by and all the fumes are just spewed out. It's absorbed through through the lungs, right? Mm-hmm. Now, in all fairness, the body has mechanisms which will get rid of a lot of these toxins. But it's like anything else. It's a race between what comes in, what goes out, because nothing happens instantaneously. 
yes. much as we think it should be, but it's not happening instantaneously. It's like when you put on weight, right? You put on 20 pounds, you think it, it went on overnight, but it took you about a month or two months or three months, depending on what you're doing, right? But then most people want to take um, one pill, and one hour later, they're 20 pounds lighter. doesn't yep. work that way. Nope. Right. So and what people have to realize also, even with the detoxification process, right, it all works with what's going on with your body. It depends on how your different body systems handle these detoxification protocols and also how the mechanisms involved. Right. Now, the pathways that people will think about about getting rid of toxins, there's really very few pathways. There's a sweat Right, so, and you exercise, whatever toxins that are in the blood can go through and be excreted through the sweat glands, right? Yes. Another way is through the urine. Another way is through the expired air when we breathe out. And another one is through the stool, yes. right? Now, when people talk about the expired air, people say, no, we don't, they don't usually think of that as a pathway to getting rid of toxins. But I, the one thing I'll say is that, you know, alcohol, that's one of the ways that it's gotten rid of through the expired air. That's the, hmm. that's why w- when you take a breathalyzer, right, th- they can figure out how, how much alcohol you have. Well, that makes right? sense, yeah. Right, so I use that as my example. So to say that, right, now the thing is, not every single toxin goes out via all of these routes. Some toxins prefer certain routes and some prefer other routes. Right. Mm -hmm. For example, some medications that we take, you know, we call those toxins, right? They are excreted through the urine. Yes. Right. And primarily through the urine. Right. Now, people may say, well, why can't we get rid of all of it at once? Well, the problem is the absorption process is usually a one way door. Okay. So these are toxins that's coming from the outside. So usually you breathe it in. It's a one way door. It goes in, but it's not necessarily coming back out the same door. Right. Yeah. You um, you eat something. The toxins are absorbed through the gut. It's a one way in. It's not coming back out the same way. In order for it to come back out the same way, there are certain organ systems that have to break it down so it can come back out the same way. Okay. Yep. One of those organ systems is your liver. Right. And the liver is one of the biggest organs of detoxification, right? And it does a lot of metabolic processing. A lot of biochemical conversions happen in the liver, right? And one of the things about the liver is that it has great regenerative capacity. But in spite of all that, you still have to support your liver and look after your liver. The example I'll use for that is um, alcoholics. With alcoholics, they can drink a lot, a lot of booze before the liver even says boo. Yep. But then what happens is that almost instantaneously overnight, they go see the doctor and the doctor says, well, you have cirrhosis of the liver. So it seems that the regenerative capacity of the liver, even though it's great, has limited capacity. Right. And that's something to be mindful of. And that has to, you have to be mindful of. Now, most of us, we don't abuse our liver the way you would with, with alcohol, et cetera, et cetera. But you still got to look after the liver, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I, I, I like to use my factory analogy when we talk about detoxification, the process. Right. Because even though we absorb a lot of toxins, we also generate a lot of toxins in the metabolic systems in our, in our body. And it's like anything else. If it's generating faster than we can deal with it, 
a lot of it has to go into storage. Right. This is why people say they have a buildup of toxins, right? Because it goes into storage. And where is it stored? A lot of toxins are stored within the fat cells, and they're also stored in other organelles in the body, right, within the cells. So, but what happens is during the detoxification process, right, the liver takes blood, right, and whatever immediate toxins are floating around in the blood, they get rid of those first because you know what? It's ready, it's handy. Right. Now, to get rid of some of the toxins that are, say, stored in the fat cells, it takes time to take it out of storage, put it into the blood, run it to the liver. So this is why I say to people, you're not going to get all of your toxins out overnight because it didn't get in there overnight, so there should be no reason why you should be able to get rid of it all overnight. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So it's a process. So... You know, I know there's a lot of detox programs out there where you go in and you take this juice. One of, I think, the like, one that I know of right off the get-go is the olive oil lemon juice detox plan. Right, and it's timed, right? Well, you do it over a series of uh, days, right? Yeah, no, but what happens is even oh, a few days, is it, again, it doesn't come out that quickly, but a lot of people feel good afterwards. Right. Well, the reason you feel good afterwards, is, you know, is that... You have a good ball movement with some of these things, yeah, right? Yep. And so... Let's not underestimate a good bowel movement. I know. Uh, as I'm getting up there in years, I, I yeah. appreciate those things. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, after you've had one of those things, you feel a few pounds lighter. For sure. Right? So that it contributes to the feeling of, of wellness. But you didn't really get rid of all of the toxins. You still have a lot of that stored up in the fat cells, right? right? Because it couldn't move out fast enough for your body to deal with it, right? So do you see value in the cleansing? I see value in the cleansing, but I don't think of it as a one-time, once-a-year thing. It should be an ongoing thing that that people should be doing maybe once a month, once every two months, right? It has to happen more than once a year. That's what I'm trying to say. This kind of harkens back to my view of resolutions, and a lot of people, you know, may have you you know decided to to stand on the scale after new year's and say oh my gosh you know i le- i need to lose 20 right yeah and the, i'm alluding back to what you were talking about before which is you know they want to do it immediately yeah. when i lost the 52 pounds decades ago i didn't do it overnight and it's a lifestyle decision and i think that's what you're saying with detoxing if you're going to do it yeah sure you could do a cleanse and you know you may feel better you know viscerally but if you really 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 want to improve your health it has to be a lifestyle decision that you're doing consistently and it's the same thing with detoxing this is something you have to do regularly if you really want the effects of it that is true and one of the biggest things about detoxing that that people should be aware of exercise is one of the best ways of detoxing 100 percent. yeah and but I, I know a lot of people say oh, i don't have the time you know i don't have the energy but you got to make time for some of these things whether you like it or not and, and what i'm trying to say is that even if you are sitting down all the time even if you get up and walk around for a couple of minutes every 20 minutes or every 30 minutes it makes a big difference with how the metabolism of your body works right Absolutely. And, and, you know, if you're talking about energy, I understand the time component. Everybody's busy. But if you feel like you don't have the energy to exercise, 
all the more reason to exercise because once you exercise, your energy levels will go up and it will beget more exercise. That is true. And one of the things that people don't realize, if you exercise on a regular basis, what happens to is that the, because, I don't know, it might be the endorphins, but you don't get all of the endorphins from food anymore. Right. Right. Yep. So you, you don't need to finish the cheesecake to feel really good, right? One slice of cheesecake might, might be enough or half a slice might be enough, right? Yep. And what you don't realize is that once you start consuming less, that also helps with the exercise, with, with the weight loss. It all interconnects. It helps your sleep patterns. Uh, you're right. You, there's less emotional eating if you feel better about yourself. Maybe by exercise, you change your body shape so you feel differently and you're not feeling sorry for yourself and you're not eating and it all interconnects. That's right. And sometimes when we talk about things like detoxing, weight loss, etc., it is not one single magic bullet. Everything right. is interconnected. Right, yep. and what I'm trying to, to the message I'm trying to bring about everything contributes to each other and it builds on each other. So it's not a single approach. But what happens once you start on the pathway, going down that pathway, it opens itself up to other ways of doing the thing. Right. right? So we've talked about the lifestyle decisions that you can make that will help you detox naturally. Let's talk about some of the herbal products that will help with the detoxing. Some of the herbal things that that people could use right off the get-go for for helping with the the liver, right, would be milk thistle. Milk thistle has been out there for a long time, right, and people have used it for a long time, and they've gotten great results with it, right? One of the things that does, it has antioxidant support, right? Mm -hmm. There are several other Chinese herbs that I know of that are great stuff with the liver, and one of those is blepurium, right? That's Mm -hmm. a very good one. There's another herb called artemisia, right? Now, these are not common herbs that you normally find out there, but I do know it's available. The people who have products with these ingredients. Yes, of course. And I'm, and I'm sure you have some products out there, and then we can discuss for sure. those for a minute or two. I, I, I no, but one of the things I, I, I'd like to point out with these is that people will say, okay, milk thistle helps with the liver, so all I care about is milk thistle. I don't want anything else. Right. What I try to tell people, yes, milk thistle is important, but some of these other herbs work by different mechanisms. And what we're thinking of is to have a lot of these herbs in combination so we can use all the different mechanisms available so you get a better effect in the long run with what you're trying to do. And mm-hmm. that's why I usually try to promote combination type products as opposed to single ingredient type herbs. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So if somebody is cleansing or detoxing, what sort of reactions or what sort of changes might they expect and, and which are positive and which might be negative? Okay, it depends on your speed of, of doing your cleansing. Now, there's some of those people who don't think they're being cleansed unless they're sitting on a porcelain throne and praying to the porcelain gods, <laughs> okay? okay? Yeah. I, I, and even with those, it's doing a quick cleanse to get rid of the stuff that's immediately there, but a lot of the toxins that are in storage and so on are not being cleansed. Yep. Okay, so it's one way of of starting the process, but usually it's it's really hard on the body. Okay. Yep. My feeling on it is to do it slowly with time, and eventually you you keep ahead of it. So the analogy I'll use is if you have a very dusty house, okay, and you take your broom and all you do is sweep the stuff on the floor, right? You mm-hmm. get rid of quite a bit. However, there's stuff sitting on the ceiling, there's stuff on the walls, yep. right? There's stuff in the nooks and crannies, which eventually make it back to the floor, 
right? Yep. So the idea here, if you're doing a quick cleanse, you're getting the stuff on the floor, but you, all the stuff on the ceilings and so on are still there. So if you do it slowly and you do it on a, you know, if you clean your house on a regular basis, what happens is that eventually you clean everything because then you start wiping down the walls, you start wiping down the ceilings, you start wiping the windows, the sills, etc. Maybe, maybe you get to that fridge, that you That's know, that right. shelf in the fridge where you just don't even want to think about what's there. Yes. You have time so, for that, right? Yeah, so these are the analogies is that you're keeping ahead of all of this dust buildup, right? Yeah. And it's the same idea with the, with the cleansing program, right? Now, I usually try to advocate cleansing and using all the different systems out there. As you say, you have the sweat for sweating. You have in the stool. So the stool would be looking after the liver, right? You have the kidneys, right? So you try to to take things which increases the metabolism of the kidneys, which in turn will break down certain toxins, and then it can be excreted through the urine. And some of these things, even with the kidney, if it breaks it down, it ends up in the bloodstream. Then the bloodstream, when you sweat, it comes out in the sweat, right? Mm -hmm. Some of the things with the liver is also the same, same idea. Also, things in the lung, right, to help get rid of certain things. So what we're trying to do when I advocate some of these things is to use all the different mechanisms and exit portals available to us to go. We talk about colonic cleansing, right? Again, colonic cleansing, what you have to do is to increase your fiber intake. And one of the things that fiber does is that it inhibits the absorption of toxins from the outside. It shortens the transit time. So normally, if you eat something, let's say it takes about three or four days before it reaches the end to, to comes out yeah. as feces, right? Yeah. If you take fiber, instead of three or four days, it may be coming out in one day or two days. Now, what's good about that is that the shorter the, the contact time between toxins and the GI tract means less gets absorbed. Fantastic. Unfortunately, Gordon, I'm sorry, the, we, we don't have any more time today. But next month, we'll come back and we'll discuss perhaps a little bit more about this or about something new. Does that sound good? Sounds like a plan, Jamie. Thanks for having me again. Fantastic. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. Be Well Health Clinic is downtown Toronto's most comprehensive psychological wellness clinic. Consisting of psychiatrists, psychologists, psychotherapists, social workers, naturopathic doctors, acupuncturists, and many more practitioners all under the same roof. They take an integrative approach to your wellness, and they all work with you to achieve your goals. Located steps from Union Station, Be Well Health Clinic also does direct billing to most insurance providers. Whether your condition requires medication or talk therapy, they can help with it all. For more information, visit bewellclinic.ca. Did you know that wild Mediterranean oregano oil is a powerful panacea that can assist overcoming many of the health challenges you may suffer from? Headwind Essentials was first to market with 100% certified organic ingredients in their wild harvested oregano oil. Quality is the key to amazing results. Headwind oregano oil may be used internally and topically to treat a multitude of conditions. To learn how it can help you regain better health, visit wildoiloforegano.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Roger Baird is an alternate health researcher who has investigated most of the alternative health modalities over a period of 50 years. He created Headwind Essentials, which produces wild Mediterranean oil of oregano. 
He has discovered that oregano oil, when properly made using only wild Mediterranean oregano, is perhaps the most potent plant healer that is useful to the majority of people across a wide range of health challenges. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you? Very well, Jamie, and it's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for having me. Well, I'm happy because we have an expert in the field of oregano oil to explain what it is and how it's cultivated and how it's produced. So can you tell us about that? Okay, well, the first thing I'd like to mention is we we don't deal with cultivated oregano oil because we feel that the wild product is superior from a medicinal standpoint. Yep. And, you know, there's an obvious reason for that, Jamie, and I, I think it would be the difference between an animal that's sitting in the zoo, let's say a tiger, and one that's in the wild. The one that's in the wild has had lots of challenges, and it's evolved its intelligence to a a degree that supersedes the one in the zoo who's given food and really doesn't have to struggle to survive. The plant kingdom has the same, let's say, development of, of DNA as the animal kingdom, so they have to survive in the wild. And in order to do so, they have to protect themselves against invaders, which include microbes, fungi, animals, insects, and this type of thing. So they developed a wonderful chemical laboratory, phytochemicals that protect them and ward off the invaders. So a plant that is grown in the wild has a more complex phytochemical makeup. It's much stronger. And that translates to qualities that can be passed on when we ingest that plant. So that is the the reason that we go with, only with wild-grown Mediterranean oregano. But it's oregano like the oregano we might put on our pizza or our salads or our meats. It's We're talking about oregano, right? Well, it's arguable whether what you get in the supermarket is the same, right. no, <laughs> I, the same I, genus of oregano. But yes, it is. And, and of course, we've, you know, our bodies are used to it. We've been eating it for thousands of years. And it's actually in the medical literature going back thousands of years in both Chinese and Western medicine. So we're well acquainted with it, yes. And let's get into the science of oregano oil. What is it, like what are the compounds that are in the oregano oil that are so beneficial for us? Well, there's four main chemical groups, and the one that we're, we're most familiar with, uh, the, the layperson, is the phenol group, which is actually the, the largest um, component of oregano. And we all hear about the carvacrol content in oregano, and that is, is the largest um, chemical found in oregano. The other one in that group would be thymol, which is found in a much smaller quantity, and, and that's a good thing because it's in, in a larger uh, fraction, it would actually be toxic. But in a, in a small fraction, let's say 1% to 3%, it's actually good. And it's, it, both of these have antiseptic qualities, and it goes far beyond that. I mean, they also have antiviral qualities, they're anti-inflammatory qualities. But that's not where it stops. I mean, I, mean, I think although carvacrol is a wonderful thing, that in a way a little bit too much emphasis has been put on it. And I think that that's following the pharmaceutical paradigm where there always has to be an active ingredient. Right. So people have picked this, you know, as the active ingredient in oregano oil, which is, mm, it's got some truth to it, but it's not the entire picture. So the other chemical groups in oregano oil are the alcohols, which are long-chain alcohols, and they have some antiseptic action, but are better known for their antiviral capabilities. 
then there's terpenes, and there's, there's various terpenes in oregano oil, and these are long-chain hydrocarbons. They're able to penetrate into fats, and they exhibit antiseptic, anti-inflammatory, anesthetic, and antiviral properties. And the fourth group is esters, and they share two esters with sage and lavender oils, and those are linalol acetate and geranyl acetate, which are both known for their calming effect as well as increasing blood flow. So, and esters are also powerful antifungals. So what we've got here is, is a synergistic action between all of these groups and when they get in the human body, it, it is this, this synergy that makes it such a powerful and useful oil. And probably in the plant kingdom, I mean, I've dealt with all kinds of essential oils, and I've been studying plants for health for, for a long, long time. Yeah. And I have to say that in the plant kingdom, oregano is probably the most useful and, and the most... Well, universal in a sense remedy. It's it's a panacea for so many things. Well, you've touched upon it. Can we focus in and just sort of let's pay a little more attention to the multitude of, of ways that the oil can be used for our health and wellness? I think you mentioned that it's an antioxidant, right? It's an antioxidant, which is is helped along by its. Uh, it contains rosmarinic acid which is a powerful antioxidant. And we'll get to the usages. And I'm, I mean, I'm just going to read off the sure. list here because there, it's such a long list. Go for it. I'm likely to miss something. But, but if, if for your listeners, if any of this resonates with you, then you'll know what to go to. So it improves Im- immune function. And I'll add here that uh, the immune function is really important. People with autoimmune diseases can't take something like echinacea because it boots the immune system up. It immediately goes into overdrive. Oregano doesn't do that. It modulates the immune system. So if you've, if you've got an autoimmune disorder, you can usually still use oregano oil. Okay. It's good for acne, allergies, asthma, arthritis, autoimmune disorders, bad breath, bronchitis, bladder infections. Candida infections, bloating, colds, cough, childhood diseases, colitis, Crohn's, dengue fever. And when colitis and Crohn's, you know, we can add leaky gut in there as well. Eczema, earache, fatigue, food poisoning. This is traditional. This goes back thousands of years. They knew about the, the aspect of food poisoning. Flu, gastritis, gallbladder issues, headache, hepatitis, herpes. Indigestion, irritable bowel, kidney infection, pneumonia, psoriasis, parasites, prostate disorders, sinusitis, sore throat, stomach ulcers, urinary tract infections, and more. So it's a very long list. And to some people, they go, oh, this sounds like snake oil. Yeah. But I'm here to tell you, because I get the response from our customers, and people will call up and say, oh, you know, I took this for a cold. Because everybody knows that, you know, oregano oil is great for colds and flu, which, which already puts it in the category by itself. Because really, I mean, what else is there that can actually defeat a cold? I mean, it's, it's an absolute miracle in that department. And they say, well, I took it and I've had, a ba- I've had back pain for 20 years. And after, you know, after a couple of days, the back pain went away and it's never come back. Wow. And that's probably because... You know, the back pain might have been a result of, of kidneys, kidney problems, and, and the oregano fixed it. So, you know, I get stories all the time, and I, some of the conditions that people tell me about, they say, oh, it cleared up my blah, blah, blah. 
Zygo, I've never even heard of that condition. <laughs> right. Well, it helped with my marriage. <laughs> oh, good. I don't know. You've got a long list there. I didn't hear anything. You know, I didn't hear anything about that. Does it help with libido? I'm just. I'm, absolutely, I'm absolutely, it helps with libido. <laughs> I had a guy who was a, a football player. And yeah. He was probably in his 30s, and he was having problems with uh, some kind of skin bumps on his head. And I said, well, I'd try the oregano because it's, it's also you can mix it with shampoo. It's good for dandruff. Anyway, long story short, and I said, take it internally. And, and, you know, I mean, I thought this is the last guy that's going to have any problems, you know, in, in that area. Right. Not that I thought about it. But right. he said, you know, he confided in me a, a couple of weeks later. He said, uh, he said, you know, a very surprising thing happened. He said, you know, after I'd been taking this for a while, he says, my libido came on like crazy. He said, and all of a sudden, you know, my wife wondered what had happened to me. And well, I, there you go. <laughs> There you go. And to me, it's simple. It fixes so many things. It acts on so many levels that, I mean, you've got a certain amount of energy or a lack of energy in your body. And a lot of things like parasites, bacteria, viruses, all these challenges that people have that are, are, are sort of at a subclinical level, they're not a big enough problem to really be noticeable. But the oregano oil tunes up the immune system and, and often just directly kills a lot of these parasites or bacteria or viruses that are in our bodies and that are affecting our performance in whatever area that may be. And, uh, yeah, so that's it. Uh, when, when your body starts working better, everything starts working better. That is exciting. I, I'm curious, though, are, are there any contraindications? Are there any medications that people might take where they perhaps shouldn't take oil of oregano? Yes, I mean, there, there are a couple of things. One is if you're on, well, a few things. If you're on blood thinners, oregano oil will also thin the blood. Okay. So I'll leave that with your listeners to figure that one out for themselves. It may interfere with iron uptake, so take four hours apart from supplements or iron-rich food if you're low on iron. If you're taking probiotics, the same thing applies. Take it four hours apart. Avoid sensitive skin areas and eyes if you're using it topically. If you're pregnant, especially the first trimester, avoid it. Caution with breastfeeding. Although, interesting thing here, if use top, if, if there are blocked milk ducts, you can use it topically, avoid the, avoid the actual nipple, but you can use it around the nipple in the, on the breast, and it will actually clear a blocked milk duct, which is a very, very painful condition. Yep. Allergies are rare, but found you know, an ounce of prevention. Put it a drop on the inside of your elbow, cover it with a bandage, let it sit for 24 hours. If there's redness, you could have a sensitivity. And in that case, you, you're advised not to take it. Very good. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Maybe you'll come back another time and explain uh, more of the wonderful things that oil of oregano can do. Well, it went really quickly, Jamie. I enjoyed it, and I'd love to be back another time. And yes, we'll cover more material then. Great for pets. Fantastic. Great for pets and farm animals. Thanks, Roger. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss cooking with fruit on The Tonic. With EF Go Ahead Tours Canada, experience the world like a local by traveling alongside expert guides who call your destination home. Enjoy authentic meals, immersive sightseeing, and enriching cultural activities. They'll handle all the details. All you have to do is enjoy your trip. For more information, visit goaheadtours.ca. 
Are you stressed out, feeling down, having trouble sleeping? New Roots Herbal offers natural supplements to help take the edge off, relax, enhance your mood, and sleep better. Discover De-Stress, Merry Mind Omega, and Sleep 8. Natural ingredients and guaranteed purity for a better day and a restful night. Find these and other New Roots Herbal products exclusively at quality health food stores. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. And for more information, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. In addition to being a lawyer, my next guest has been writing for Tonic Magazine for over five, five and a half, six, seven, eight thousand years. <laughs> and since 2015, she's written the very popular cookbook review column, My Wife, Naomi. Hi, sweetheart. Hi. So today, we're, it's counterintuitive. We're talking about cooking with fruit and everything is outside is frozen and icy and you just don't think about fruit at this time of year, but but you think we should. I think you should. I think about fruit. I like to eat fruit. Everybody can always eat more fruit, right? And I think it's like the underdog, you know, when it comes to baking, or at least theoretically, people will talk about chocolate and make a big deal about it. But people really like fruit desserts. I recently did a little poll at my office because we were trying to choose what flavor cake, and I was really surprised. I did not tell them that lemon would be my choice. Yes, lemon is always your choice. I know, but I didn't want to influence them, and all kinds of people chose lemon. Nobody chose the chocolate. I was surprised. That is surprising. Maybe they all live in fear of you. Have you thought about that? You're the boss. They didn't know about my lemon predilection. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they did. Who could say? I don't know. But fruit is seasonal, right? I mean, like, why are we talking about fruit in January? Because there's so many options. And okay. that's really why I thought we should talk about it is um, maybe people aren't thinking about the options and they're just not having fruit because they don't, you know, they're just not thinking, oh, you know, it's Ontario peaches and nectarines and plums and strawberries right. in the summer. But there's a lot that we can cook with. There are, the there, are, there are winter forward fruits that we're going to get to. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's important to cook with fruit because if it is drab and awful out, Fruit can brighten your day, right? Like it can, it can make things better. It's everybody likes to eat something that's sweet and tasty. So that's good for you. I mean, everybody yep. needs something brighter. They need the fiber, the vitamins. And sure. I, I'm not saying apple pie is a healthy, it's not a healthy, eat, no. but particularly a la mode, particularly <laughs> a la mode or with whipped cream, but fruit generally not, not everything is apple pie that we're going to talk about. All right. So let's get to it. What are your favorite ways to cook with fruit? So just as a preface, I have a couple fruit cookbooks and and I understand that if your fruit's not really your thing or you don't have a lot of room for cookbooks, there's going to be fruit desserts or other baking in every cookbook pretty much. But if you really do like to cook with fruit, there's a couple that I would recommend. Uh, There's a new one called Dappled by Nicole Rucker, which came out in 2019. And it was really interesting. She's a a chef from LA who owns a bakery. It's very well reviewed. And then I also have another one called Sweeter Off the Vine by Yossi Arefi, who's a blogger. And her cookbook came out in 2016. And so they both, you know, focused on fruit specifically. And it's modern desserts too, Yeah, it's modern. And so, you know, if if you find yourself doing a lot of cooking and you want to have options, it's a good, either of them are good books. Right. So this is, you know, when we're talking about fruit cookbooks, this is for somebody who likes cookbooks. Like this is not, you don't need this for your basic collection of cookbooks. If you only have room for five cookbooks, you know, I'm not saying you need to go buy this one, but I do like them. And I, I understand I'm on a different level than other people in terms of my love for cookbooks yes. and my my willingness to fill up my bookshelves with cookbooks. Yes. Okay. So in winter, 
I suppose the real issue is, you know, what type of fruit are you going to use? And, you know, fresh fruit isn't available. So let's, let's not start with fresh fruit. Let's talk first about dried fruit. Dried fruit is great. And it's healthy too. I know it has sugar, but it's actually quite healthy. It depends how it's dried, right? I mean, mm. like like if they're using, you, you can get sort of the chemical free ones, which are better. They don't look as nice. But if you're concerned about that, you can go there. Mm-hmm. But dates, for example, I mean, yeah. dates are delicious and um, very sweet. And if you're using dates, you use less sugar. Right. You know, a good natural source. Sticky toffee pudding is really one of my favorite desserts. Classic British dessert, I think. My favorite recipe is is Bonnie Stearns, but it's basically it's a cake that's made with pureed dates and covered in caramel sauce. And so if you didn't know there were dates in it, you wouldn't, right. I think, recognize it. It's just like a s- sweet and caramelly soft cake that and great for winter. winter. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's in a lot of restaurant menus and has been for a few years, but it's easy to make at home and, uh, you know, a good fruit dessert that you might not think of as a fruit dessert. Right. In Sweeter Off the Vine, the cookbook I was just talking about, they have a date and cranberry uh, sticky toffee pudding, which is an interesting way to get some tartness to the recipe, which is good, too. Mm-hmm. Think of brown butter date blondies. Basically, mm. everything with brown butter is good. It's yes. hard to mess that up. And you can see that the brown butter would go nicely with the caramely dates. And, you know, if you're not a chocolate lover, which not everybody is, uh, that would be a really a good option if you're having people over or uh, just want some little squares as opposed to something fancy. Another idea, sour cherries, dried cherries. Yeah. Because they're very available now and they're really good. I'm, I'm not a fan of raisins. Some people are, but I do like dried cherries. I also like them better than dried cranberries, which I find sweet. So they're good in baking. There's a soft chocolate almond cherry cookie, which you can find on, on the website. Yeah, we just had those. They were, they were delicious. Yeah, they're a real winner. Easy to make, made with almond flour, you know, butter, chocolate, and dried cherries. So think of dried fruit too. Okay. Fruit is fruit. Fruit is fruit. Yep. Okay, so we're not using dried fruit. Another option is frozen fruit. Yeah, I think some people still feel that frozen fruit isn't quite as healthy as fresh, and it is. In fact, I understand that it's maybe even more healthy because the fruit is picked at when it's ripe and immediately flash frozen. So it doesn't uh, do the traveling that fruit that you get from Chile might be. So you get you know frozen berries, cherries, peaches, whatever. It's quite healthy and it's very adaptable to baking. So if you like berries and all that, you can have it all year round. Most frozen fruit, you can just use frozen. Like it's very easy. You don't defrost it. As a matter of fact, you specifically don't defrost it. You know, So you're making muffins or cake or pancakes. You just use it. In Dappled, I thought it was interesting. She was explaining that you can definitely use frozen berries and cherries for pie, but you do have to thaw them and pre-cook them. Hmm. Peaches, apples, and rhubarb can be used frozen for the others for pie as opposed to baking. Um, what you do is you thaw it cook it with little sugar and cornstarch and then it won't be too watery so no problem to use it it's also you know it's less expensive you buy a big bag and And you can get you can get organics too right yeah very easily and um the uh, wild blueberries easy to get in a big bag you know better than the you know the big ones okay so that's frozen fruit now let's circle back and talk about fruits we can call them fresh, but they're not seasonal in the way that, let's say, peaches or nectarines or apricots are. And they are available throughout the winter. Mm-hmm. So where do you want to start? You want to start near and dear to your heart with lemons and citrus? <laughs> Should we start there? We can start with citrus. We could talk about citrus the whole time. I know you could. I could. 
I put lemons in everything. Yes, you know, you like do. lemon, there's nothing that isn't better with a little bit of lemon. Lemon zest, particularly, is the, a great way to add some brightness to any dish. Like oatmeal, you know, chicken, potatoes, vegetables, salad dressing, everything, not just baking. Mm-hmm. When we make roast chicken, we stuff it with lemon. Right. It goes with fish. It goes on veal chops. You can use salad dressing. Soups, soups even can benefit from lemon. Yeah. And not just lemon. You know, we're still talking savory. We've cooked uh, branzino with sliced grapefruits, yep. you know, and fennel. You can put oranges or blood oranges like in salad. Uh, secret ingredient to my turkey chili is lime juice. Yeah. Lime, you know, there's a lot of cultures that use lime a lot, and it and it has a really distinct flavor, too. So citrus is great um, with or without vinegar, you know, as a complement or on its own. Uh, citrus just brightens everything up. It's one of my, if I had to choose sort of my top 10 ingredients, I would say citrus would be one of them. And I would say this, if you are intending to use uh, lemon peel or lemon zest, you should really go organic. Uh, uh, because some fruits and vegetables, it doesn't make sense to do it because of cost or it's not really relevant. Lemons are one of those ones that are relevant. So if you can find the organics, if you're baking with it, you should use it. Yes, we have been. And and don't forget there's some less usual ones like kumquats. You know, Mm -hmm. I had a recipe for chicken cutlets with cranberries and kumquats and we'd never tried them before. They're like, they look like little baby oranges. They're the the size of grapes and you slice them up thinly. They're very tart. You wouldn't eat them on their own, but sliced with the cranberries, a relish on top of the chicken cutlets. Yeah, it was great. They were delicious. Mm -hmm. Okay. No more citrus. Uh, Lots of people cook with bananas. Bananas? Yeah, and I mean, it's a bit of a cheat because I don't think bananas are necessarily local, but they are available all the time, and they have been for a really long time, and they're a basic. So banana cake, you've you've got leftover bananas. You don't know what to make with them. Banana cake will always make people happy. I also put bananas in oatmeal. Like Bananas um, can be used in any um, in any baking. You mash them up and they can reduce some of the oil and the sugar in your baking if you're concerned about sugar too. So bananas are a staple in most people's kitchens and you just shouldn't forget about them. Okay. And there's banana cream pie too, which everybody loves. Yeah, this is a health and wellness show. Yeah, okay, but we're talking about baking. It's true. Yeah. Apples and pears. Apples and pears, those are the basics. So apple pie makes everybody happy. In the Dappled cookbook, she has a recipe for sour apple pie. So you cook some of the apples without a lot of sugar, and then you mix that with uh, fresh apples. That sounds really good to it me. It does. There's also pear and cranberry pie, pear and cranberry pandowdy. And really, if you don't want to make pie or you don't thinking about that, applesauce, fresh applesauce is way better yep. than the bought kind. And you can use it on a lot of different things. Okay. We have time for one last one. And, and let's go with some more obscure fruit like uh, persimmons or pomegranates. Yes. Well, I love pomegranates. It's a bit of a pain, but yep. you can buy the arils um, already separated or you can do it yourself. I love the flavor. Sweet and tart. Persimmons on everyone's menu. Yep. Also tart, delicious fruit. Like try it. You know, it's not that expensive. You can try one. You can Google how to use it and learn something new. Fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. You're welcome. We're going to hear back from you next month, right? Yes. Excellent. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice, 
The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. My next guest is local yogi Tracy Sograti. She has a post-secondary education in biology, molecular biology, nursing, acute care, public health education, and Swedish and Thai massage. She specializes in training yoga teachers, and she's the founder of Evolve Retreat, a phenomenal opportunity for women to celebrate and grow together in Costa Rica. For more information, visit EvolveRetreat.org. Happy New Year and welcome back to the show. Happy New Year, my friend. I'm so happy and excited to be here. Did you have a mindful holidays and are you be- are you ready to have a mindful new year? Absolutely. I, uh, I employed all the tactics that we talked about last month and uh, I'm ready to move into some change. Fantastic. And a lot of, a lot of people are thinking about change and yeah. some people call it resolution. I don't love that word. It's triggering for people. So how, how does mindfulness play into change and evolution and trying to achieve goals? How does mm-hmm. it work? Mm-hmm. So mindfulness at its sort of basic foundation is just Uh, learning to pay attention to increase your awareness I could also use the word consciousness of the present moment and as you hone your ability to be aware of who you are in the present moment and what you're doing and move away from kind of being on autopilot to really being oriented to all of the facets of you and, and as you hone that ability then you have the capacity to short circuit habits, tendencies, or patterns in your life that are creating an experience, a lived experience that's, you know, it might be killing you realistically, right? Hmm. If we're talking about your health. So the mindful piece of change is that, you know, by practicing mindfulness, you become aware of what needs to change. And then through that awareness, you can, you can layer, you can scaffold your ability to evolve uh, through the techniques we're going to talk about today. Okay. Now for some people, change evolution is a scary thing. And, And I'm one of those people who really struggles with change. I've had tons of changes in my life, so I know I can do it, and and I've thrived within it. But when I met with the necessity or the possibility of change, I always, you know, my first inclination is to shrink back from it, right? (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't sure if you were going to say shrink back or freak out. (laughs) No, shrink shrink back. I'm not a freak out guy. Mm-hmm. I'm more of a I'm, I'm more of a worrier, mm-hmm. like planner, plotter. So like I think I'm always thinking about strategies on how to yeah. deal with the change, right? To make yeah. it so that it isn't too hard for me. Right? Well, I think it's, it's a way of trying to control it too, right? Hundred so percent. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So first of all, you know, just so that you feel better and all of your listeners feel better. 
everybody has what I kind of call a psychological allergy to change. <laughs> that right? So yeah. it's 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 like when you hear that, it's like, oh yeah, okay, I can understand a psychological allergy. We've all got it. This is part of the human condition. We're hard, we're hardwired that way. So as soon as you know that that's normal, it can kind of help you get over the hump of doing it. And the thing is, from a survival perspective, change and uncertainty they they feel really threatening. Yep. Um, because again, it's something that we're not sure that we have control over. Even if you're living in circumstances that you don't like or that are pathological or that are harming you, it's it's predictable for you. Yes. Right. So there's a way that you know how to behave, whereas the change um, represents something that's unknown. And so because it feels threatening, it kind of spikes our fight or flight response. Right. And so when you talk about your tendency to kind of shrink back and want to control things and want to plan for every uncertainty. Right. That's yep. your fight or flight response being triggered. And unfortunately, what happens for people is when that response is triggered and they feel kind of unsafe, they might shut down, right? And if we can kind of take a step back and recognize, okay, we all do the same thing. However, the one constant that we have in life, other than the fact that, you know, we're going to react to change in this way, is that things change all the time. True. Right? There's nothing that ever stays the same. It it took me until I was in my 40s to recognize that that really we live in a constant state of change and you have to embrace it on some level or you're just going to be done for. Exactly. You have to. and, And the thing is, it means that you have to kind of walk into this feeling of vulnerability, right? Because when, when you, even when you describe the fact that you shrink back, yep. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that you're closing yourself down, right? Because to walk towards change means you have to kind of open up to this feeling of like, oh God, I feel kind of vulnerable. I don't know what's going to happen. Am I going to, and the question is, am I going to be okay? Am yep. I going to survive this? What if I fail? All of those pieces, right? Yep. No, I, I'm less concerned about failure now yeah. uh, than I am just sort of the discomfort. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, will my life on average be better or worse with, yeah. with these changes that are coming, you know? Yeah. Okay. So let's just speak to that because if you've got that issue, I mean, chances are most of your people listening have that issue too. Yep. The thing with change is that initially you're stretching yourself outside of your window of tolerance, right? So we've all got this nice little window of tolerance. It's the place where we feel comfortable. As soon as you introduce change, it's going to stretch you a little bit outside that window of tolerance, and that means initially it is going to be uncomfortable. And so you have to look for that and expect that, you know, you're going to feel like you're kind of walking outside of a zone that's perfectly safe. Um, But if you expect that, then it's easier to tolerate it while it's happening. Mm -hmm. Right? Now, there are a few things that I want to really bring in. Um, So say you're thinking about change, right? I try to look at a person. So say I'm seeing a client. I try to see them in a really holistic way. So I ask people to create a picture of all of the domains in your life, right? And it might look like circles. So you can sit down and write out, okay, your physical health, your mental health, the professional work that you do, your friendships, your partner, your family. And then to first ask the question, what's working really well? Mm-hmm. Right, so there there are things in each of those domains that that are uplifting and that are helping you to be the best version of yourself. Right, so you you want to acknowledge that. And then the second thing that I ask people to do is to ask the question, what could be changed? Right, how could you support yourself in your own evolution, understanding that it's a process that you spend the rest of your life engaging in. It never stops. It's not like there's this end point that you get to and then you're done. 
You right. know, I, uh, I try to really let people know that you put a goal in place merely to facilitate the process. Yeah, that makes sense. Right? Well, for you, the process, the moment is the thing, right? I think yeah. other, other, other people have it backwards. Yeah. And that's why, maybe that's why I don't like resolutions, right? Because yeah. they're kind of meaningless. Like, yeah, maybe you'll achieve it, maybe you won't, but mm-hmm. it doesn't mean you've succeeded or failed whether you do or you don't. It's more yeah. like, it's more like, did you put the effort in? Did you try? Did you think about it? Exactly. Did, did you try and make those changes? And, and I think what you're saying is be proactive about change. It's, like, it's, you have to be proactive. You have to be the architect of your own reality. Yep. You have to drive the ship. Nobody else can do it for you. And if you spend your life looking for someone else to do it for you, you'll, you'll just miss the boat. You know, you'll get to the end of life and you'll have missed the point. So, okay, so you get proactive, right? And mm-hmm. then there's two other things that are so critical. And one of them actually comes from James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. If your listeners haven't read it and they're readers, it's brilliant. We'll, put it, we'll put it in the notes so that they awesome. can access it. Awesome. So he tells a story about the 1% rule. Okay. And basically, it's the idea that if you change little things, a whole bunch of little things, just 1% on a daily basis, the cumulative results are huge. And he tells a story about the British racing team and how they you know, went from being like total failures to winning the Tour de France over and over and over just by employing this 1% rule. And so I'll you know, read the book to, to get the full story, but it literally, there, there is this lag time right? Mm-hmm. Where you, you kind of, you start doing a new thing, right? And if you expect results instantaneously, that can, that can really make you feel like, oh, you're not getting anywhere because there's the lag time between you starting to change whatever you're doing in your life and the results that you get. But if you expect that and know if you make little 1% changes, right? So like last month, we talked about mindful eating and eating on a smaller plate or putting your fork to fork down in between bites. These little tiny changes over months, they exponentially grow your results, right? right? So then what I'm asking people to do, listeners, please look at those domains that we've talked about and write down little 1% changes that you can actually do every day. Expect that there will be a lag time. You know, you're not going to see results for one to two months, but if there are little things you can actually do every day, you will see huge results, right? And then the act of actually doing something every day is then going to create this positive feedback cycle because you're going to start to feel better in your skin. You're going to start to think more clearly. And that positive feedback cycle will keep you making those 1% changes. Well, that sounds fantastic advice. Yeah. And also something that everybody could execute. There's nobody who I can think of. Who couldn't make slight changes, no matter how old you are or where you are or what yeah. your circumstances are, you are capable of making those small changes without feeling like it's being taken out of you. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's not going to feel like it's too much. And you're also not setting yourself up for failure. So many people, this is, I think, the, your, your psychological allergy to resolutions is the fact that people, they make these huge resolutions and they set themselves up for failure. Well, 1% change, it's, it's the smallest thing, right? But yeah. every time you honor that commitment to yourself, you are going to feel more confident in your abilities to take care of yourself. That right? is so it's just win-win. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. We're going to hear back from you next month. Can't wait. It's always a pleasure, Jamie. Thank you to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Gordon Chang, Roger Baird, Naomi Bussin, and Tracy Sagrati. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. 
You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by Naomi Bussin and other amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on The Tonic when we'll discuss a natural approach to treating the symptoms of anxiety, depression, and insomnia, hiring and working with a holistic nutritionist, learning your conflict style, and living with a child with Dravet syndrome. Until then, this is Jamie Bussin wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.